wonderful to see you all uh, here this morning to worship with us on another gray day. But uh, things can be bright in here even if it's a little gray outside. Uh, my name's Steve Coleman. I'm a member of the speaking team here at New Hope Chapel. And today we are uh, finishing up the last of three feast days for Israel that occur in the fall. We had the Feast of Trumpets and Day of Atonement the last two weeks. This week we're going to cover the Feast of Tabernacles. There are seven feasts that God uh, specified for the nation of Israel. In the spring, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits, uh, the Day of Pentecost, and then Trumpets on the left-hand side, Atonements and Tabernacles around our October and Center, the Black Inner Ring. So three in, three in the spring, early summer, and three, four in the spring, early summer, three in the fall. First, let me ask you this question. At this time of year, do you find September to be react, uh, relaxing and a low-key month? I've never found it that way. Perhaps I spent too many years in school. Summer will always, September will always be associated with the panic of figuring out how to get a whole semester's work done uh, in just a few months. When Julie and I were raising school-age children, September was a scramble to figure out, well, what's the new set of activities and who has to pick up whom, when, and making sure they had everything they needed for school. You know, many businesses closed their books for the fiscal year on September 30. Lots of work needs to be wrapped up. And the budget cycle begins once again. Goals need to be set. Maybe it's not busyness for you. Maybe mood changes are a challenge. It becomes noticeable that the sun is setting earlier and earlier. Or, or circumstances have you boxed in and you're feeling vulnerable, alone, or without comforting resources. Well, the truth behind this last high holy day for the Jews here in the fall has great significance and I think is something that can bring a lot of joy to an ordinarily busy or discouraging September. Well, let's, um, uh, in case you're wondering, at this list, uh, Hanukkah and Purim aren't on it, and that's because God didn't set those up back in the time of the Pentateuch, the Torah, with, with the law and Moses. They came along later and were incorporated into Jewish celebrations. All right, well, before we re- read our text, let's pray and ask God to work this morning through his word. Lord, what a privilege it is to be here with um, my friends, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, and in your presence, too. Lord, we worship you. We want to worship your great name, lift you up higher this morning. And we ask for your Holy Spirit that we might give him free access and work on our hearts, that you might take your truth and plant it in us. In your name, amen. Well, uh, Leviticus 23.34 and selected verses after that. It's a chapter that's been referenced each and every message on these days, um, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. Uh, that begins on verse 34. On the 15th day of the seventh month, 
the Lord's Festival of Tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. A little further down, after you've gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. First day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you're to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Well, the standout characteristics characteristic of the feet Feast of Tabernacle involves preparing an outdoor hut, we can call it, a tabernacle, uh, a booth uh, that has a, its roof covered with branches. This festival also, as you heard, provides rest for work, offerings to God, and a celebration of God's blessings. As we've discussed here the last two weeks, the time begins beginning at the Feast of Trumpets in the Day of Atonement, the last two feasts we looked at, are a time of judgment, repentance, and forgiveness. Very solemn. But, you know, it doesn't end there. These days are followed by seven days for this feast of rejoicing and praise. Feast of Trumpet is is celebrated by Orthodox Jews today. Here's a modern example of a simple tabernacle or booth in someone's backyard. Other people spare no effort in building and decorating these tabernacles. You know, apartment living doesn't prevent these people from observing the celebration. And in case you're traveling, there's a portable version you can buy. So it's alive and well as a celebration for Orthodox Jews. You know, from time to time, we've talked about these feasts of Israel at New Hope Chapel as the years have gone by. And, you know, several things have stood out uh, about them. One is that there's a communal aspect to these feasts in that they drew the nation together for celebration or worship or meditation as they recalled the common origin and experience of the people getting together as a family. They were also commemorative. Uh, Three of these feasts, including the Feast of Tabernacles, before we get to commemorative, uh, were called uh, pilgrimage festivals because all the Jews were supposed to come to Jerusalem on each of these days. Once in the spring, very early spring, uh, the other toward the beginning of summer, Pentecost, and then the third one, the Feast of Tabernacles. Because during the year, you're out on your, maybe a farm, out and away, you're working away, and um, uh, God 
wanted this touch point, wanted the people to be able to come together and uh, at his temple, uh, in his presence, uh, to, to, in this case, celebrate before him and, and this, this touching with other people. Uh, Sundays are wonderful for that very thing for us. Uh, can you imagine coming to church three times a year? means a lot of sleep-ins, but there's a lot to be gained by talking to other people, encouraging each other, and uh, the Lord built that into this service, this festival as well. They're also commemorative. They kept alive the story of what God had done in the Exodus during the desert travels and getting into the land. So there's, there's a uh, memorial sense to it. By doing this, we're saying, oh yeah, let's remember this. I don't know if you've taken any time to stop and go to the Maryland World War II memorial that's uh, on Route 2, just prior to the old Severn River Bridge. But if you went there and read the plaque, it would say this. What stands here signifies the boundless esteem and respect of a citizenry eternally grateful for their service, valor, and sacrifice. It's to remind us of what they did. It's not an insignificant uh, event. Uh, I was reading that Maryland, it ended up being 14% of the Maryland population that got committed to the war in World War II. 14%. But he, so Maryland builds this memorial so that we can keep alive the memory of that service and that sacrifice. So remind us of what they did. Feast of Tabernacles, every time, reminded the Jews of what God did for them in bringing them out of, out of Egypt and during the, the uh, desert travels and going into the land. You know, these were also uh, theological. Each of these feasts... Uh, have some truth about God. It teaches the people about who God is. It teaches the people what they should be focusing their mind on and what their attitude should be. In this case, a thanksgiving to God, a celebration of His goodness and His work on their behalf. They were also, to introduce a big word, typological. It just means they're a picture of something in the future. And the Jews knew that as well, that this, that this feast was a symbol of something to come. They viewed this feast as also pointing toward that day at the end of time when God would bring uh, uh, everyone to get the nations together. They would bring all the Jews together. In Christ's time, there were Jews spread throughout the Mediterranean area and beyond. And so they, were, they anticipated a greater fulfillment. They even saw that, um, that this particular feast uh, suggested this time that Ezekiel prophesied when God would pour His Spirit out on everybody. And we'll probably see a connection with that a little bit later. So in part, it looks back to remembrance, and in part, it's looking forward. So all these would be good to focus on and think about. In the time remaining, we're going to look at the theological significance 
of this feast. What God, what did God want the people to know about him uh, through this feast? So God was and has always been more interested in true hearts filled with worship for him, not in activities that we do out of mere habit, just to check the box. And there's a problem with these things. Uh, God had said, I want you to come do this, live in these booths, so you remember. You're participating in something to help you remember. Well, we read, we understand from, from uh, extra-biblical historians that Israel didn't really do this from long. While Joshua was still alive, the people sort of stopped doing this. Stop living, building these tabernacles and, and living in them. And uh, so it, it really never again happened until those few hundred years before Christ came. The people had not done that. And, um, you know, the, the people's attitude in general, the children of Israel, during those years that we read about in Joshua and Judges and uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, all that history. Um, there was a lot of times that the people of Israel just were pretty cool toward God and cold. Isaiah writes about festivals and other activities that had become meaningless. He says, uh, using saying that God said, "Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me." New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. New moon, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. God established these things for the good of the people. And focusing on the truth behind these celebrations help us understand God's heart for us. So let's take a closer look at Leviticus again. As you can see, the purpose, primary purpose, to live in such shelters is so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Well, why did God want them to know he had their ancestors live in tabernacles, in temporary shelters? What was the reason? And, and why did remembering that make a difference? Well, one is, for the Israelites that God brought out of Egypt, uh, he was in the process of doing this great work. We know the great works of the Exodus, and those were remembered very well in, um, for the Passover. Uh, for the Feast of Trumpets, what was remembered was God bringing them out and bringing them into the land, and that first victory of Jericho. Remember when they walked around the walls? And after the seventh day, and they walked around it seven times on that day, the walls fell. Well, one of the things they would do, uh, uh, particularly in Jesus' time, which is where we have the best records, is every day of this seven-day feast, the priests would get those, some of those branches and things, and they would come, have a procession in the morning, and they would walk around the synagogue. And they would do that each day. 
until the seventh day. And then they'd walk around seven times. Then they'd beat those branches on the ground. I'm not quite sure the significance of that detail. But the point is, they were calling to remembrance symbolically the great power, the great work God did in bringing them into this land as they, uh, as they were meeting together. Egypt had forced them into slavery, given them harsh work, put oppressive taskmasters over them, and even given an edict to kill all the boys that were born. God rescued them in spectacular fashion and promised to give them the land that he, uh, and, and brought them toward the land that he had promised to give through uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You know, several times in that, those wanderings, um, the real history was they complained. They complained a lot. They got caught up in it. Uh, they tell the story of a monk who joined a monastery and took a vow of silence. He, all the people that joined that particular order, they were allowed two words that they could say every ten years. After his first ten years, his superior called him in and said, Do you have anything to say? The monk replied, Food bad. Another ten years, and the monk again had the opportunity to voice his thoughts. He said, bed hard. Another ten years went by, and he was called in before his superior. When asked if he had anything to say, he responded, I quit. Doesn't surprise me a bit, his superior said. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. (laughs) That was Israel's problem. They got caught up in complaining. But in great power, God not only brought them out of Egypt, but he kept them and preserved them in the wandering, and with great power brought them into the land. You know, a connection we can make with this truth is that God promises this power and more to us. Paul says in one of his prayers, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the, uh, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Power to us. That same power. You know, there's several places in the world that you can walk on a clear walkway. Grand Canyon has one. There's a few more sprinkled around. I have plans to travel to none of them. (laughs) I have no interest. It's hard to trust something you can't see. And it just, I can't see the floor. (laughs) So I have trouble. It, it, It is problematic to see. And I think that's part of the reason for the Feast of Tabernacles. So as he wanted Israel to understand and celebrate and enjoy the fact that he was all power. They did it by being reminded of what he did in the past. Imagine walking around a city, blowing trumpets and shouting, and have the walls just disintegrate. Incredible. 
So even though they may not have seen God's power day by day, just like we may not day by day, God's power is nonetheless very real and there for us. Second feature of Israel living in these tabernacles as nomads is that so they would be dependent upon God. Trust. Trust in God for food and water. Trust for protection. Trust a guide wandering around lost in the desert. Not just no fun, but it's downright dangerous. God protected, provided for them, and guide them. I mentioned Israel's complaining. You know, they complained, first of all, that there was no water. You brought us out here to die of thirst. God provided water. They complained later. It says in Exodus 16, Oh, that we had died in Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full. And uh, not necessarily challenging the reality of that statement, God still gave them manna. And that manna never stopped until they had entered the land. They also complained more about the manna, and God ended up sending them quail to eat. In Deuteronomy 29, it says that their clothes remained intact and their sandals did not wear out during the entire 40 years. There's a little miracle for you. I like old T-shirts, and I'm that guy, and old polo shirts. They get holes in them, but if it's comfortable, it's comfortable. Uh, Old shoes, oh, nice. Uh, But over the last 40 years, I've had more than one pair, even me, yes. They They didn't. Their sandals never wore out. At the Feast of Tabernacles, they were to remember God's care for His people in that hostile environment, and they were to be joyful and celebrate the fact that He cared for them and brought them to the land. Our connection here is that we can celebrate God's love for us. We we need to do that. It's good for us, and it represents reality. 1 Peter 5, 7, one of the short verses of the Bible that we all learn early on. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We're told to come to the Father, to approach his throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then back to Paul again, this time in Philippians, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What do we do tomorrow? That's always what I think about when I'm studying these things and and writing a message. Uh, And what do we need to do tomorrow? I, I need to be more than do, but I need to be someone that just counts on these things, counts on the truth of them. He cares. He's all powerful. Third aspect we're going to cover this morning is... Israel lived in temporary shelters out of Egypt, and God was with them the whole time. God tabernacled with them. He lived with them, dwelled with them in the form of a cloud, a pillar of cloud that would sit over the tab- their worship tabernacle, 
And then when it lifted up from there, they'd all pack up, and then they'd follow the cloud. And where it stopped, they would stop, set up camp, and they would stay as long as the cloud was over that part. Uh, it blocked the Egyptians when the Egyptians came after Israel to, because uh, Pharaoh changed his mind. People use the term Shekinah glory. I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, Shekinah glory, to talk about the glory of God as it was between the cherubim in the, uh, at the mercy seat in the ark, as it was over the tabernacle, as it was when it filled the temple. And uh, it means, that word means dwelling place or settling place. The presence of God settling there, the presence of God dwelling there. You know, that glory filled Solomon's temple. Not just Moses' tabernacle, it filled Solomon's temple. You know, in Jesus' time for this festival, one of the things they did was they erected these four huge lampstands. I mean, multi-story huge. And they say the bowls were filled with gallons of oil. They would use the priest's old robes and things like that as wicks. And they would light these off for the Feast of Tabernacles so that the light just went everywhere. Uh, I, I didn't find confirmation to this, but it, I, I think there was uh, more than one person has thought, speculated, they were, they were reminding themselves of the time when God's glory, the great, the great shining, the Shekinah glory, had filled the temple. Well, Jesus was making a point about dwelling with his people when he said in John, uh, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I've already said that even the Jews, the rabbis writing later, uh, thought that uh, some of the things they did, they, uh, and one, one practice in particular is that they would, they would take wine and put it in a bowl and water and put it in a bowl and uh, they would, the bowl would have a little hole in it and, and these tubes that would go around the altar for this particular ceremony. Often they, they did that with wine, but in this festival they had the wine and the water and that... Um, uh, and they, they interpreted that as God sending His Spirit down. Well, you know, um, on the last day of the feast, they say the great, the, the, the passage talks about the last great day of the feast. That's when Je- this feast, that's when Jesus stood up and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that was this festival, this great festival celebration. God always wanted to be with his people. In Genesis 3, there was this rift that got created. God came to walk in the garden with his people and Adam and Eve had hid themselves because of the sin. 
that they had committed. And, and uh, from that point on, there was a rift. God did come into their presence. Uh, but he certainly sent his son on a rescue mission uh, in Jesus to rescue us. Jesus lamented during his three years on earth, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I would gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. God wants relationship. He told his disciples at the last Passover, with desire I've desired to eat this Passover with you. And when he instituted what we have as communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, he said, uh, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine anymore until I drink it new with you uh, in heaven. So uh, he's, he's looking forward to that as a celebration. And Revelation depicts him as a bridegroom waiting for his bride. We all had to wait, those of us that are married, after, after engagement for the wedding, and waiting wanted to get here, and that's how the Bible pictures Jesus. Just like with Israel, he's looking for us to respond to him, to run to him. Israel was given the tremendous opportunity to be saved from Egypt, led and protected by God all through the wilderness, to be given the land he promised. He wanted them to turn their backs on Egypt and to love him. They didn't do a great job of that. But he wanted them to run from suffering under an oppressor and run toward God and the freedom with, that comes with that and to their Savior and protector and guide to cash in their bankrupt lives without God and commit to a relationship with them. Most of them rejected that offer. And they didn't have the relationship with God. They didn't have the light and they didn't have that uh, fullness of life that God promised. Um, all these things are, were meant to be understood in God's mind with this festival of the tabernacles. But unlike those, uh, the other two, the day, uh, Feast of Trumpets and Day of Atonement, this wasn't a reflection where you go, oh man, I really blew that. But it's a continual celebration that, God, that he's asking for. There was um, singing and dancing through the night. The Talmud says that there, were, there actually were some, um, some rabbis who would, uh, there was one that was, could juggle eight torches. And he's out there doing that. And, and, um, and there was a, another rabbi that could stand uh, not just a handstand, but then stand, do a handstand on two fingers, and nobody else could do that. And, uh, and, and so as a celebration went through the night, uh, in the morning, just before dawn, the priest would head down into the valley to the spring to get that water for, uh, to bring up to the, uh, uh, to the altar, to pour into the, the bowl. And everybody would cheer, and, and, and one writer said that if you didn't see that joy in getting that water and bringing it up, 
then you don't know what joy is. Uh, that's what this celebration was meant to do. So for us, uh, it's meant to translate to a life of joy, realizing that God has provided for us. You know, we had friends live next door to us, and they really loved the mouse. No, they really loved the mouse. Um, they would go at least once a year. They finally decided, they finally decided, they wanted to be with the mouse more. And they both quit their jobs, moved to Florida, and got jobs in Disney. That's a love. That's a love of the mouse. Uh, that's what God is looking for, is a joy in him, a joy in the mouse. So uh, Israel spent a miserable time in their wanderings. God wants us to remember the fact that he had, he had power. He cared for them during that time. And he wanted to be in their presence. And he wanted through this feast to communicate those truths to the people that celebrated it so that they could revel, they could celebrate these things about God. That's, and uh, what a wonderful message from uh, this Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I'm glad that we have, we may not celebrate all the feasts uh, because the reality is here, but I'm glad God has this system of the body getting together in local, locally in local places and, and sharing that time together that we can laugh and celebrate and enjoy.